Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. We are continuing in our series that we have entitled Reasons to Believe. We are now in part six, an extremely important part of this study where we are looking at the whole subject of fulfilled prophecy. And before we go into that tonight, I just want to talk a little bit about the importance of God's Word. We're living in a day and age where there's so much confusion. Uh, Everyone has their own opinion about this, that, or the other, but thank God we have the Scriptures, and we can turn to God, and we can turn to His Word in this culture and this time where it just seems like the whole world has lost its way. But We have the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And that's the very Word that we are seeking and studying in these Bible studies. And we have come to what I believe is the most important part of this study in prophecy and we've looked at just some surface scriptures. We haven't even begun to dig deep into this subject, but to try to keep it somewhat brief, uh, the last few sessions we looked at prophecies concerning the nations. And we looked first at the nation of Israel, and then last time we looked at some other Gentile nations, prophecies that were given in the scriptures, and how most of those are now history. Some of them are yet to be fulfilled. But as we move further and further along in this study, those of you that have been following, I think you're beginning to see with 100% accuracy, God predicts the future. No other God, no other religion, no one else can do that but the living God. And that's why this subject is so important, because fulfilled prophecy is one of the most important evidences that the Scriptures are divinely inspired. And we saw at the beginning of this uh, study on prophecy, numerous passages, particularly in the book of Isaiah, where God himself talks about the importance of fulfilled prophecy. And he challenged all of the false gods and all of the idols of Isaiah's day to please come forward and predict the future. And let's see how accurate you are in your predictions. Tell us what the future holds so we may know that you are gods, Isaiah said in chapter 41. And we studied those verses where God says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. God has eternal plans, and long before they are uh, materialized and they have come to pass, he often reveals those plans to his prophets. And many of those prophecies are recorded in Scripture. They're written down for us so that we can now look back in time and see how accurate many of those predictions were. And tonight we want to jump right in to this most important part of this whole study, and that is Messianic prophecies. These are prophecies in the Old Testament that all of the Jewish people knew. They studied them, they understood them, they knew them very well. They understood that there was a coming Messiah, an anointed one, God's chosen servant, that he would send to be their king, to be their deliverer, to be their savior. And... The Old Testament contains upwards of 300 prophecies concerning this Messiah. And 
the importance of this study is that when we look at the life of Jesus, all of those prophecies were fulfilled in the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And over 90 of those messianic prophecies from the Old Testament are specifically quoted by New Testament writers in reference to Jesus Christ. And we studied at the beginning of this whole study the authenticity of the New Testament scriptures. Thousands of manuscripts we have now of the New Testament from the first century. And in all of those manuscripts, we find the same thing. Over 90 messianic prophecies are directly quoted in those New Testament writings from the first century, and they are shown to be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And so, when you look at this great body of prophecy that's in the Old Testament, telling us what to look for, who to look for, where to look for the Messiah, and you see how absolutely every single detail was fulfilled by Jesus, we're left with no room to doubt that Jesus is the Christ, He is the Messiah, He is the Anointed One. And because there are so many of these prophecies, we're going to limit it, and I know this sounds a little bit overwhelming, but we'll try to move along as quickly as we can. We're going to limit our attention to about 60, 60 of those prophecies. I want you to see just how utterly impossible it is that all of these prophecies could have been lucky guesses and that somehow Jesus was an imposter just trying to pretend that he was the Messiah, the promised one of God. And so we're going to divide this up into several categories. The first category we're hopefully going to be able to finish in this session. And these are prophecies that deal with the Messiah's birth and his lineage. Where would he come from? Where would he be born? How would he be born? What family would he be a part of? All of these things were predicted in the Old Testament. And so we're going to start with the most basic and start moving to more and more specific prophecies until finally we will find the exact family that he was predicted to come from. All right, let's begin way back in Genesis chapter 3. And we've often referred to this verse, but let me just remind you again that the first messianic prophecy, by no coincidence, comes in the same chapter where we find in graphic detail, the description of man's fall. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they fell from God's grace, they were banished from the garden, sin and death entered into the world, curses came upon them and the creation, and right there in that same chapter, God begins this long thread of prophecy concerning his son, concerning the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, who would ultimately destroy sin and death, and even destroy the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And this first prophecy is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I'm going to read from the New King James Version here, just because I think it's a little bit clearer. 
God is speaking here, and here's his words. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We don't have time to look at the whole context here, but I would encourage you to read the whole third chapter of Genesis and you will notice that this quote that I've just read is actually God speaking directly to the serpent, to Satan. And he tells Satan, the devil, the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Interesting. So Satan has a seed, and the woman has a seed. I think we mentioned in an earlier section of this Bible study, this is a very unique scripture. Very rarely does scripture ever refer to a woman's seed. It always refers to the seed of a man. But this is an exception, and God says, I'm going to put enmity. There's going to be war. There's going to be strife between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And in the New King James, I think they get it right, where it mentions her seed, they have it capitalized her offspring, her descendant, who would war against the serpent and his seed and eventually overcome him. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, Satan has a seed also, and her seed. The woman's seed, and most Bible teachers understand this is the first reference in the Bible to the Messiah. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The bruising of his heel, of course, a prophecy looking far into the future of Christ's crucifixion on the cross. And Interesting that this first of all the messianic prophecies indicates that this coming deliverer, this coming anointed one, would be born of a woman. He would be the seed of woman, indicating that he would be fully human. This would be a human messiah, a human deliverer, born of woman. And we find this prophecy, of course, fulfilled in many, many different ways in the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll look more at some of those in a moment, but let me first just point you to a New Testament scripture where the Apostle Paul seemed to have this passage in Genesis 3 in mind, and it's found in Galatians 4, verse 4. Galatians 4, verse 4. Referring to Jesus, Paul writes, And when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law. God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law. Very interesting. This was the Son of God, but born of a woman. And Genesis 3.15 is the first indication that we have that this Messiah was going to be the offspring of a woman and would indeed be the one who conquered Satan. Now, the second aspect that we find in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah's birth, we're all quite familiar with, that he would be born of a virgin. 
And obviously, this would be a miraculous birth. And we find the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, approximately somewhere between seven and eight hundred years prior to the birth of Jesus. And the original prophecy is found in Isaiah 7 and verse 14. And it reads, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The virgin will be with child. So this human Messiah, his very birth was predicted seven to eight hundred years before it took place, and it would be miraculous, 100% supernatural in nature. And when we come to the New Testament, we find one of many places in the Gospel of Matthew where as Matthew is giving the account of Jesus' birth, his life, his crucifixion, his death, burial, and resurrection, he of all the gospel writers was very concerned to show what we are talking about tonight, how in many, many cases, things that happened in the life of Jesus were to fulfill specific Old Testament prophecies. And I'll talk a little bit more about that after we read this passage, well-known passage that we often hear at Christmas time, Matthew chapter 1 from verse 18 to 23. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And listen very carefully to verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then it quotes from the passage we just read in Isaiah 7:14. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, I hate to keep repeating this, but I think it's important to remind ourselves these New Testament scriptures have been absolutely authenticated. We have thousands of manuscripts of these New Testament scriptures from the first century, including Matthew and including this very portion that we are now reading, where Matthew says, this man Jesus, his birth was the fulfillment of, of what Isaiah prophesied 800 years before. And Matthew was particularly careful to show as many instances as he could of Old Testament messianic prophecy and how Jesus was the fulfillment of each and every one of those prophecies. Again, over 90 Messianic prophecies from the Old Testament are specifically quoted by New Testament writers in reference to Jesus Christ. And 
Matthew quotes 16 of those prophecies in his gospel. And throughout this study, we'll probably touch on quite a few of those, but the references are all found in the notes if you would like to reference them. And I would strongly recommend that you download those notes at our church website, which I gave earlier, uh, new-life-ministries.org. And you can find all of the different references there. But verse 22 is very typical of many, many passages you find in the Gospel of Matthew. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. So God said it 800 years earlier through Isaiah. God fulfilled it in Matthew's day, and Matthew records it for us, and it becomes part of our New Testament scriptures. And now this prophecy is history. It's fulfilled prophecy. Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 7.14. He was born of a virgin, born of a woman, thus fulfilling Genesis 3.15. And it was a miraculous birth, so miraculous that he was called Emmanuel. Not man with us. But Emmanuel means God with us. This was the Son of God, born of a woman, born of a virgin. And that leads me to the next messianic prophecy that Jesus did indeed fulfill. He was to be the Son of God. The Son of God. And we find in Psalm 2... Verse 7, the Old Testament prophecy concerning this. Psalm 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And let me make another note while we're here in the Psalms. A number of Psalms are generally and widely accepted to be messianic Psalms. In other words, although these were songs written by David and other psalmists from the Old Testament, they're actually prophetic concerning the person and the work of the coming Messiah. So here is one of a number of Old Testament prophecies concerning this Messiah, that not only would he be born of woman, he would be the Son of God. And again, coming over to Matthew in the New Testament, we look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Matthew 3 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. A fourth point we want to look at concerning the birth and lineage of the Messiah, and this starts to become more and more specific. It starts with woman. He's the son of God. And next we notice that the Messiah was going to come through Abraham. He would be the seed of Abraham. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18. And I'm again reading here from the New King James Version. And God is speaking to Abraham here. 
And he says, in your seed, and the New King James, I think, gets it right, seed is capitalized, in your seed, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. In your seed, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So we now find that Messiah is going to come through the lineage of Abraham. This is again confirmed for us in the New Testament by Matthew. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, where he gives a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we read, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And one other New Testament reference that points back to the Messiah being the seed of Abraham is Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. We studied this in a different context earlier in this series, but we come back to it now for a different purpose. Galatians 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed, and again, seed is capitalized, suggesting that this is a reference to the Messiah. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed who is Christ. So Paul very plainly tells us that the seed of Abraham that is referred to back in Genesis 22:18 is indeed Jesus Christ. We go a step further and learn in Genesis chapter 21 that the Messiah would be the offspring or the seed of Isaac. So we're now tracing it down through Abraham and to his son, Isaac. Genesis 21, verse 12. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, Listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. In Isaac your seed shall be called. And over in the New Testament, we find indeed in another record of the genealogy of Jesus, this one found in the Gospel of Luke, that he was indeed a descendant of Isaac. Luke chapter 3 and verse 34. In the context, it's clearly referring to Jesus, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, and on and on it goes. The son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, and while we're here, it leads us to point six, that going a step further now, he would be the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of Isaac, and then the descendant of Jacob. And there's a very important prophecy concerning this in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. This is very clearly a messianic prophecy tying the Messiah to the lineage now of Jacob. Numbers 24 and verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of of Sheth. So, this is a clear reference to a coming deliverer, 
coming Messiah, a star is going to come out of Jacob, a scepter is going to rise out of Israel. And again, we just read in Luke 3, verse 34, that Jesus did indeed fulfill that, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So now we've traced it from woman to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Scripture then takes us to the next level, one of the tribes of Jacob or Israel was specified the tribe of Judah that Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah not from Levi or Simeon or any of the other tribes but specifically this prophecy now points to the Messiah coming from Judah Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, another very important messianic prophecy. Genesis 49, 10. Note again the reference to the scepter. Scepter refers to ruling. It refers to kingdom. And we read, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he, and in the original Hebrew, the word used is Shiloh, and if you really look that up, it's generally understood to be a reference to Messiah. So putting all this together, a scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he, the Messiah, comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. Another very well-known Old Testament prophecy that also confirms this, and we will look at it a little later on in another aspect of fulfilled prophecy also, is Micah's prophecy. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Here we learn several important details about the coming Messiah. One, that he would be a descendant of Judah. And two, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5 and verse 2. I'm reading here from the New King James. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Very clearly, putting these two passages together, there can be no doubt that Messiah must be born into the tribe of Judah. Must be from Judah, from Bethlehem, and this is no ordinary descendant of Judah, because Micah's prophecy tells us very clearly, he will be the ruler in Israel, and his goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. We'll talk more about that part later on, but note for now that these two prophecies clearly show us that Messiah must be descended from Judah. And of course, New Testament writers knew this. They knew Messiah had to come from Judah, and so any imposter that was descended from any of the other tribes of Jacob was a false messiah. But notice how the New Testament writers confirm this. I'll read you just two of those uh, quotations. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 14. Hebrews 7 and verse 14. 
in the context, it's clearly talking about Jesus, the great high priest, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And it says, it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This is very interesting that way back in Genesis 49, we were being told that Messiah, the ruler of Israel, was going to come from the tribe of Judah. It was only in the book of Exodus that we see God separating the tribe of Levi for the priesthood. And long before that even happened, God had already made it clear that the Messiah would be coming from a whole different tribe. And the writer of Hebrews understands this seeming contradiction, and he points out that it is clear our Lord was not from Levi. He descended from Judah. Nevertheless, he is a priest, not after the order of Levi, but he began a whole different order of priesthood called priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. We don't have time to get into that tonight, but maybe we can come back to that in the future. Also in Revelation 5, verse 5, John actually has a vision of Christ in heaven, and here's what he sees. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Point eight, we go even a step further. We've now gone through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've narrowed it down to one tribe, the tribe of Judah, and Old Testament prophecy further refines it now and tells us what family Messiah would be coming from. And if you know anything about mathematical probability, and we're going to play around with this a little bit at the end of this whole study, we're, we're narrowing, narrowing this down more and more where the chances of just getting a lucky guess are becoming slimmer and slimmer as we're narrowing the field down. Now, Scripture is specifying one family out of which the Messiah would have to come, the family line of Jesse. And the main prophecy for this one is found in Isaiah chapter 11, and I'm going to read just verse 1 and verse 10. You're probably familiar with these prophecies, but these are generally understood to be messianic prophecies. Isaiah 11.1 1, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. In verse 10, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. So this shoot, or this branch, that is now going to come up from Jesse, the root of Jesse, is a reference to the Messiah. And here again, we see the New Testament confirms this, in Luke's genealogy, where we've already seen he's the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the son of Jacob, and now Luke 3, verse 32, we read that Jesus, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, etc. Jesus, the son of Jesse. And probably the most important part of this whole lineage, this whole 
process of narrowing down the exact genealogy of the Messiah is the next one. Point number nine, he would be from the house of David. So starting with Abraham, going down, 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 we've now refined it within the family of Jesse to one of his eight sons, he would have to be descended from David. Many places we could look, but let me just read one from the Old Testament. Jeremiah 23 and verse 5. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. And Jewish people of Jesus' day, they all understood that Messiah would be called Son of David. Everybody understood that. So any imposter, any false Messiah who was from any other tribe, any other family other than the house of David was a false Messiah. Jeremiah 23.5 The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Coming over to the New Testament, we could literally quote dozens and dozens of passages. Um, I'll just give you a couple of them. Matthew 1, 1, back to Matthew's Gospel, where he gives the record of the genealogy of Jesus. We read, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. So, Messiah would come through David. He would be called the son of David. And in Matthew 22, verses 41 to 45, there's a very interesting exchange that takes place between the Pharisees and Jesus. Matthew 22 Verses 41 to 45. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? And we've already talked in previous studies. Christ is a reference to Messiah. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. Notice, they all understood this. The son of David will be Messiah. Jesus said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, and he's now quoting from Psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then... David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? So this, of course, deals with the mystery of the fact that Jesus was both son of man and son of God, the descendant of David, but also God supreme and David's Lord. Uh, numerous other places particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, where we see the crowds uh, referring to Jesus as the son of David. Now, that's the lineage from which Messiah would need to be born. More about the specific place where Messiah would be born. We already read the famous scripture in Micah 5, but I want to read it again now because this pinpoints the place where Messiah would need to be born. And this was a very obscure town in Israel. It wasn't Jerusalem. It, it wasn't one of the big towns of Israel. It was a little town called Bethlehem. Micah 5 and verse 2 again. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, 
Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And Matthew, again, in his gospel, is very careful to connect Micah's prophecy with Jesus and show us how Jesus was indeed born in Bethlehem, and this is another fulfillment of prophecy. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Notice they all knew this. They all very well understood Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. For this is what the prophet has written. And then they're quoting what we just read in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And also in John chapter 7, verse 42, we see yet another confirmation that the Messiah would be from David's family, born in Bethlehem, and that Jesus fulfilled both of those. John 7, verse 42. Does not the Scripture say that the Christ, the Messiah, will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived. So, the chances are getting slimmer and slimmer as we move along here that it was just an accident that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He's from the tribe of Judah, the family of Jesse, the house of David. Matthew would have us understand that all these things happened to fulfill prophecy. And of course, his very birth in Bethlehem was yet another miraculous fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that he would be born of a virgin. Uh, Just two more points, and we're going to finish this section uh, on his birth and lineage. An eleventh point here was, in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that after his birth, he would be presented with gifts. Okay? Psalm 72, verses 10 and 11. This is a messianic psalm. Psalm 72, 10 and 11. The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him, and all nations will serve him. Note in this original prophecy, these who were bringing tribute, who were presenting gifts to him, and it even mentions that they would bow down to him, they were from Gentile nations, but these were kings who understood that he was God, and therefore they brought him gifts, and they bowed down to him. Matthew 
tells us about the fulfillment of this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Unfortunately, they've come to be known as the three wise men. Um, that's not really the best translation. Uh, the NIV gets it a little bit better. It refers to them as magi. But we understand from the original prophecy, these were probably kings, very wealthy, very powerful kings from distant nations. The prophecy said from distant shores would be bringing him gifts, tribute, and bowing down to him. Matthew 2.11 tells us, On coming to the house, they, that's the Magi, saw the child with his mother Mary, and note this, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. These were expensive gifts. Whoever would be bringing these gifts had to be very wealthy, and it's all in line with the original prophecy that these were wealthy kings coming from distant countries, presenting him gifts, bowing down before him. On to point number 12. It was predicted in the Old Testament and fulfilled by Jesus that this Messiah, born into the family of David, born in the town of Bethlehem, would amazingly be called out of Egypt. I don't think anyone understood the meaning of this or how this prophecy would be fulfilled, but the Jewish people knew the prophecies and they understood that it was predicted that somehow this Messiah would be called out of Egypt, and here again, he would be called my son, God's son. The prophecies found in Hosea 11 and verse 1. Hosea 11 and verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. This is an amazing prediction. Very difficult for this one to be fulfilled by chance or accident. And again, Matthew shows us how Jesus fulfilled this incredible prophecy of Hosea in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Matthew 2, verses 13 to 15. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And here's another one of these many instances that you find in the Gospel of Matthew. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So we now have Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies thus far. He's born of a woman. He's born of a virgin. Son of Abraham, son of Isaac, son of Jacob, from the tribe of Judah, from the family of Jesse, the son of David, born in Bethlehem, and after his birth, he's visited by kings who bring him gifts and tribute bow down to him, and then by some odd series of consequences, he ends up in Egypt, 
and God calls him out of Egypt and declares, out of Egypt I called my son. And finally, point 13, here's where we'll end in tonight's session. It was predicted that Herod would kill all of the children in an attempt to kill Jesus, the Messiah. Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Jeremiah 31, 15. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. A prediction made, again, about seven, eight hundred years before it took place in the time that Matthew is writing. And we turn again to Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 to 18. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. And quoting from the passage we just read in Jeremiah 31, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. In closing tonight, we have to seriously examine, and we're, we're not even halfway through yet, but we have to seriously examine what are the chances of Jesus accidentally fulfilling all of these predictions, and it's just some freak coincidence. He's not really a, the Messiah. It just so happened that he was the son of David, born in Bethlehem, went down to Egypt, came back to the land of Israel. Herod kills all of the children, fulfilling an ancient prophecy given by Jeremiah because of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. It's highly improbable and next to impossible that even thus far, that all of these prophecies being fulfilled by Jesus was just a coincidence. And so the point of looking at all of these prophecies is to strengthen our faith and understand that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. He is the promised one that the Old Testament was speaking about. We're not waiting for another Messiah. He is the one. He is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He has come. He has fulfilled all of these different predictions that we've looked at. And again, we're not even halfway through. So next time, we will continue looking at further predictions about the Messiah's nature, his character, his life, his ministry, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, and many other aspects. So Jesus is the one. He is God's anointed one. He is the promised one who has come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the holy scriptures that with such great specificity and detail predicted the coming Messiah to make it next to impossible that someone could just randomly by chance and coincidence fulfill all of these different prophecies. We know that Jesus fulfilled every one of these prophecies because you sent him into this world. 
He is the anointed one. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Son of David. He is the promised one. And we thank you and praise you tonight that with 100% accuracy, you fulfill every promise, every prediction that you make in your word. And we can trust every word of God from Genesis right through to the book of Revelation. Father, we praise you and thank you tonight for your word. Bless each and every one participating in this Bible study. Let their faith be strengthened. Let them have a burning revelation in their spirit that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We give you praise, honor, and glory for that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.